Um, one thing to make you aware of, in two weeks, Sunday, August 30th, Pastor Lance, who's our Midtown Campus pastor, and myself, we will be giving vision messages at each of our respective campuses. And this is an opportunity for us to forecast for the coming year where we're going as a church, the priorities that God has given us, the things that we want to see God do. We'll be talking about our upcoming sermon series on 2 Corinthians, which we will start after Labor Day. We'll be in that book for about a, a year. So put that, on your, put that on your calendar, Sunday, August 30th. We, we were at a pastor's retreat um, a few weeks ago, and, and as we really prayed and sought the Lord on a number of things, this, we really see those vision messages as, as an opportunity to communicate our heart to you and for our church. But before that, we have some unfinished business here. We have two weeks left in our um, sermon series that we've been cranking through this summer. It's a series that we're calling Truth Matters. And, and, if, and if you've been with us a while, you know back in April, the elders and pastors made, made a proposal to our church family to say, we want to move away from our current statement of faith, which is the Evangelical Free Church Statement of Faith, and to adopt the Gospel Coalition Statement of Faith. The Free Church Statement of Faith is a, is a fine statement, but we really felt like in our doctrinally challenged age, and we see this happening across the board with churches who are being forced to define themselves that we want our roots to go deep. We need to embrace a robust, vigorous, God-centered theology. And so what we've been doing this summer is we, there's 13 articles in the Gospel uh, Coalition Statement of Faith. We've been taking one a week and going through them, and we're up to Article 12 this week. And just as a reminder, in September, we'll be voting on, on the adoption of this Statement of Faith as a church family. So to, to make any change in our bylaws or in our statement of faith requires a congregational vote. We'll be sending you something out in the next week or two to tell you how all of that will work. But today, Article 12, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And, and let's all be honest here for a second, okay? Um, when we think about baptism and the Lord's Supper, a lot of times for a lot of us, we really function in the theology of the not when it comes to these things, like what they aren't. You know, Pastor Paul, we, we know they're not necessary for salvation. Okay? Pastor Paul, we, we know these, 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 are, these are not a big deal. We, we know that when we take this bread and this juice, that's not really Jesus's body, like, like some churches say. Um, you, know, you know, Pastor Paul, we're not, we don't know what we're for, but we know we're not for baptizing children. We don't know why we're, we're for baptizing children, but we know, we know why we're not. And a lot of times, guys, we, we spend so much time with, with the ordinances focusing on what they're not. We don't take the time to pause and say, what are they? Why has God given them to us? Susan and I um, moved here in 1996. Most of you know we're from Tennessee, big Tennessee fans. We came here to Tallahassee um, um, kindred spirits because we hate Florida Gators just like you, okay? We happen to think they're the most rude, boorish fans in the history of college football, okay? I mean, I mean, yeah, amen? Can I hear amen? Yes, okay. Now, but what we were totally unprepared for the level of just vitriol and hatred that FSU has for all things Gator, okay? I mean, just totally unprepared. 
Gator this, gator that. Gator fans wear jean shorts and eat boogers. And I mean, they just, you name it. And by the way, both those things are true. Um, and this was a hatred bordering sometimes on neuroses. I mean, it was like, this is like the battered football stepchild syndrome, okay? And Big Brother is down in Gainesville. And here's what was strange to me about this, okay? Here FSU was, okay, and continues to be, in, in the middle, and I, have, I say this totally objectively, of an unprecedented run of greatness, okay? 14 straight top four finishes, national championships, conference championships, albeit in the ACC, nonetheless, okay? And my thought was, why spend so much time defining yourself by the negatives? Look what you have. Look what you are. And I think in a lot of ways, we do the same thing with the Lord's Supper and baptism, and there's a real danger. By focusing so much on what we are against, we forget their beauty and their simplicity and how they are part of God's grace to us and, and, and the blessing that they contain, and we just blow right past them as if they are secondary elements to the Christian life. Now, the title of this message this morning is God Connecting. And that should forecast for us, folks, that, that the Lord's Supper and baptism are anything but secondary to Jesus. Because, in fact, he's the one that gave the ordinances to us. That's why we call them ordinances. He ordained them. He commissioned and gave them to the church. And he did that to bring us into deeper fellowship with him and deeper fellowship and communion with each other. So let's look at what Jesus has to say. We're going to be in several passages this morning. Let's go first with two passages, Luke 22 and Matthew 28. Luke 22. And he, meaning Jesus, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's what Jesus said. Now, what does Gospel Coalition Statement of Faith say? It's a real short article. Let's read it and then we'll pray. It says, we believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordained, there's that word, by the Lord Jesus himself. The former, meaning baptism, is connected with entrance into the new covenant community. The latter, meaning the Lord's Supper, is connected with ongoing covenant renewal. Together, they are simultaneously God's pledge to us, divinely ordained means of grace. Our public vows of submission to the once crucified and now resurrected Christ in anticipations of his return and of the consummation 
of all things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, show us this morning that these are not secondary. Show us this morning that, in fact, they are at the very heart of Christian religion. They're the very heart of how you want to communicate and call us to yourself. Lord, in and of themselves, apart from the life-giving work of your Spirit, Lord, they are dead ritual. But when you give them life, they are life to our souls. So give us a vision and a heart to see that this morning in your name. Amen. All right, here we go. We look at this article, and let's be honest, there's a lot this article does not say. Okay, And a lot of them may, may include questions that you have about Lord's Supper and baptism. Even though, here's what's interesting, the paradox. A lot of times we think of these as secondary and as unimportant, but how not it interesting that we do have a ton of questions about them? Okay, Questions that are not directly addressed here. Who gets baptized? Who takes the Lord's Supper? How old? How does this work? What does it mean? What's the mode? What's the means? And we're going to thoroughly answer every one of those questions in about 20 minutes. It's going to be wonderful. No, no, no. Okay. But this statement is very broad, and here's why. You, 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 you take your lineup of, of, of prominent reform conservative evangelicals that are in, sort of in our, our hall of fame, right? Okay, so John, you line up John Piper, Tim Keller, John MacArthur, who would be in a suit? Okay, R.C. Sproul, J.I. Packer, Paul Gilbert. Okay, perfect agreement, okay, on, on almost everything. Every point of doctrine, almost perfect agreement, except these, not so much. See, unified, maybe around all the principles, but the practices all over the place. And it's, and it's stated this way for a reason, because ultimately it's up to the local church to take these principles and press them down into practice. And that's what we have the opportunity to do here this morning, to kind of sort of lay out our convictions as a church family in terms of our beliefs in terms of our DNA. Now, there, we um, kind of organized what we're going to talk about this morning under two kind of headings. And you ought to be comforted, second service. In the first service, there was three headings. But somehow, between services, they became two. All right, so there you go. Hey, two, two headings. When it comes to the ordinances, we need to, one, take them seriously. And two, take them together. We need to take them seriously. And we need to take them together. Take them seriously. 1993, Susan and I were moving to Jackson, Mississippi. And the last time I talked about Jackson, Mississippi, I said something not so nice about Mississippi, and it offended one of you, okay? And we ended up going to lunch, and this person actually became a really good friend. And so my goal this morning is to offend somebody else so that you can take me to lunch and we can be friends too, okay? love Jackson, Mississippi in so many ways. But we, we pull up, we're moving into seminary, family's there helping us move, and, and after we're done moving and we're just kind of chilling in the townhouse, we get a knock on the door from a woman named Kim. And Kim was a single mom with two five-year-old twin boys who were off the hook, okay? And as we were moving in, she was moving out to take a job in another part of the country. And she said, you know, um, I, 
can I borrow your moving truck? We had a big 24-foot U-Haul moving truck, all of life's possessions. And we're like, I, I don't think we can kind of loan it to you. You kind of have to rent them. She says, well, you know, in the state of Mississippi today, there's not one rental truck available in the entire state, okay? And if you're from Mississippi, you understand how that can be the case, okay? So we're like, all right. So we'll, we took her down to the, to, the, to the U-Haul place, and we kind of turned our truck in, and she was able to rent it right when we were turning it in. And so we got back, and we kind of were getting ready to go to bed, and we're like, well, so, so who's helping you load your stuff? He's like, well, I don't have anybody. I'm like, well, well, when are you moving? Well, tomorrow, okay? So we're like, tomorrow? What in the world? So we, so we go into her, her little 1,500-foot townhouse, and I kid you not, this is no exaggeration, no offense to Living Harvest Thrift Store. It was like Living Harvest Thrift Store up in that mug, okay? And we're like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, stuff on top of stuff. We would go around and open doors, and stuff would fall out in drawers. I mean, it was like, and we were like, and it dawned on us right then, if we do not move this woman, like us, like Susan and I and her parents, if we don't move her, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And in fact, she would still be in Mississippi as we speak if we had not moved her that day. Now, guys, when, when, when we come to the text this morning, we need to feel that burden, a good burden, as it relates to the ordinances. Because when Jesus says in Luke to the disciples, do this, do it. And when he tells the apostles in Matthew 28, go therefore, Jesus is simply saying this. There are two things that the church must do. And if we don't do them, no one else will. No one else can. Now, see, guys, there's a lot of things as individual believers that we are called to do and must do. We must serve and share our faith and teach and even preach after a, after a, after a manner, informally, right? But there's two things that if we as a church family don't commit ourselves to doing, they won't get done. And they won't get done in a way that God designed them to be done, and they won't fulfill the purpose for which he has given them for us. So we need to take them seriously. That makes sense? Okay, look at the text, Matthew 28. Here Jesus talks about baptism, and, and a lot of times, you know, growing up in the South particularly, we often think of baptism as a sidebar thing. That's the thing that happens at, at camp, Right? When you write your sins on the piece of paper and throw it into the big bonfire and almost burn yourself in the process, okay? Or, or it's like it happens, it's the thing that happens at the end of a big revival meeting, okay? And the guy in the polyester suit is sweating and he calls you down. And guys, that's, that's, not, that's not the way baptism functioned in the New Testament. When Jesus is addressing the apostles here in Matthew 28, he's really talking to them about this process of going and establishing and and planting local churches. And these churches are to be a place where people are taught, where people are discipled, where there is leadership. Baptism was the way in the New Testament church that people who were making a profession of faith said, I belong to Jesus. And I belong to this group 
of people in this community we call the local church. Because you see, in, in, the, in the New Testament, being baptized was a really, really big deal. You know, for us, it, 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 there's not a lot of urgency around baptism, but in, in, in the New Testament, a baptism was always public. It was an opportunity for people to say, as for me and my house, today I am serving the Lord, and that could come with great consequence. Because when you publicly proclaim Christ and the Roman Empire, you might die. You might get thrown into prison. You might have all of your stuff confiscated. You might be fired from your job or prevented from, from trading and having commerce. Baptism was no side deal. Baptism was a right of entrance into God's house to be a part of God's people and to follow and have an allegiance to him. In a lot of ways, a, a baptism was a spiritual tattoo, so to speak. It's something you could point to and say, I don't belong to me, I belong to him. That's what baptism means in the New Testament. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, I'll go down to Luke 22 where Jesus commissions the disciples with this idea of serving the Lord's table. And what Jesus is doing here, he is giving away for the church and for the disciples to reenact his death on a regular basis. Okay? And this is why this is important. We'll talk in a little bit about why we do this every week, and it, it ties into this. Because we're a visual people. I won't even ask you how much time you spent yesterday behind a screen, okay? Computer screen, TV screen, phone screen. How long did it take you when you got up this morning before you checked your phone? How long? It took me about 10 seconds, okay? Give or take, okay? We're a visual people. Um, we need, you know, why, anybody will tell you this. Why, why, is a good, why can't a good movie or great movie compare to a great Broadway because it's flesh and blood, because we engage, because we interact. We love to see the drama played out in front of us. Every week when we take the Lord's table, the drama of Christ's death is reenacted. And we have visual symbols to remind us, because guess what? We need to be reminded. When you came in here to this morning, what occupied your thoughts and attention? You just think about that for a second. The fight in the car, the fight last night, your checking account, starting school tomorrow. I mean, you name it, our minds are occupied. They're crowded. There's a lot that distracts us. The table is to remind us, for folks, not only was I baptized and I belong to the Lord, but I'm renewing my relationship with him today. And we have to have something tangible, the bread and the juice, to remind us to unite our hearts with the Lord. It's an opportunity to renew our covenant with him and our covenant with each other. Lord, I needed your mercy and grace when I was saved and baptized, but guess what? I need your mercy and grace right now. And so these, this is why Jesus gives us this ordinance to continually connect our hearts to his. I mean, as we think about the way a wedding in a marriage relate. One wedding 
but how many date nights is sufficient to maintain your marriage? Men, you're supposed to say many. (laughs) Many, okay? Often. Men, does it work to say, we were married a date night a year, that'll work out, okay? Not so much, okay? This This is why it's important that we view these elements as means of being connected and having ongoing relationship fellowship with Christ. Now, uh, let me just pause for a second. A tip, uh, oftentimes, at this point in the game, when we say this, we might be tempted to say something, I, I got it, Pastor Paul, that's all well and good, but aren't, aren't these th- things still kind of optional? Are, I mean, are they really necessary for salvation? I mean, can't I be saved without them? Now, I think, folks, that's the wrong question, okay? Because to say something is not necessary for salvation doesn't mean that they are not necessary for your spiritual lives, and vitally so. Let me give an example. Now, some of you old-timers who've been here have heard me share this story, and so you can go check the scores for the PGA or whatever, okay? You can do that. But I think it's still fresh enough for our new people that it will capture them, okay? So let me just, let me share it, but some of you have heard it. We moved into this building in 2010, and we were here two weeks until we had our first wedding, okay? So Matt Rousseau, Ashley, Curio. And, and we get to that point in, in, the, in the ceremony where I say what pastors say, right? May I have the rings? And everybody's kind of looking around. It's that little real awkward, very awkward pause, and the rings were not to be found. And I won't even say whose fault that was, but it was somebody related to Matt. That's all I've got to say, okay? So I was a consummate professional, Right? I kind of riffed on that and made a, it was actually a really great illustration. Uh, it, you know, you don't have to have a ring to be married, Matt and Ashley. You know, and everybody was like, yes, we don't have to have a ring. I mean, I even busted out some Beyonce, right? Okay, if you liked it, Matt, then you should have put a ring on it. And he did not, okay? <laughs> actually, I didn't say that, but I wish I had. It's, ugh, <laughs> Newman. Okay, but it, towards the end of the ceremony, we thought the ring showed up. There it was, magically. Now, what would have happened, men, if Matt at that point had said, you know, Ashley, Pastor Paul just told us we don't have to have a ring to be married, okay? I don't need this, and it's not necessary. What would have Ashley have said? Well, Matt, when it comes to this marriage, I don't need it, and it's not necessary, right? Okay, why? Why is a ring important? It's a marker of ownership. It's a marker of belonging. It says Matt and Ashley belong to each other, and they belong to the Lord. It doesn't make them married, but I guarantee you, and I would boldly say this, those wedding bands are indispensable, and they're vital to their married life. Lord's Supper and baptism, it's the wrong question to say, are they necessary for salvation? Because for Jesus to give them, And to say do them, that means they are indispensable, okay? Now, so so the whole point there is to say we must take these things seriously. So so two application points for how this works at Four Oaks. I'm going to talk about a pattern and a process. 
And this is how we try to seek to press these things down into the life of the church. Okay, we'll start here at this table. At the end of this service, we're going to take communion, Lord's table. We do this every week. And depending upon your background, some of you are like, why do we do that? Okay, maybe you grew up in a church that celebrated communion monthly. Maybe it was quarterly. Maybe you grew up liking your communion the way you like your steak. Rare. Okay, I don't know what it is. Here's the deal. Jesus said in Luke, do this. And guess what the disciples did? They did it. They took Jesus at his word, and it was to become the New Testament practice and the practice of the church for the next 2,000 years to do this every time the church got together. Okay, you cannot read 1 Corinthians 10 through 11 and not come away with the idea that the Lord's Supper was a prominent, regular, central piece to everything that they would do. And why not? When we think about what it signifies, why wouldn't this be? Why wouldn't this be? And, 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 and the reason, okay, and this, and this, we don't have time to unpack all this, is that, you know, in, in one way, that is just some juice and that is just some bread. And you might go by the kitchen on the way out today and see the pastors eating a little communion bread, right? Okay, and it would freak you out probably. But we do it, it's really good. Um, but in another way, Jesus is right here. Jesus, Jesus, is, Jesus is with us. Now, he's with us as we're preaching and his Holy Spirit's going forth. But when we come to this table, and this is the bread, and this is the wine, this is the juice, and what it signifies, this is a means of grace in our lives where we come confessing our sin. We come being reminded of our need for grace. God's Spirit meets us in this place. It could be dead ritual. Without the Holy Spirit, this is just ritual. But when the Spirit gives life, God's people are blessed. And so, so parents, let me just say this. This is a big deal. Okay? We're not the communion police. Okay, we don't station our elders up here with swords. Okay, we don't, we don't guard the table. We don't do that. But let me, let me say, repentance, godly sorrow, is the requisite for this table. Trusting in Jesus Christ, placing faith in him, use discernment. Okay? A lot of times as parents, we can have so much anxiety about where our kids are spiritually. We push, 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 push. We'll talk about that in a minute with baptism. And we just simply say, use discernment. Okay? Um, um, engage, use this as an opportunity to engage your children and their hearts and where they are. And let me just say this. If you don't think your child is old enough to be baptized, we're going to talk about that in a second, probably not old enough to take communion. Those things go together, by the way. Okay? When we take when we are baptized, we are, we are ushered into the community of God's people. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we're renewing it. We're renewing it. And so, parents, use your discernment. But we also have a process. And let me talk about baptism for a second. Some of you will, will say, hey, Pastor Paul, why are you even talking about a process with baptism? In the New Testament, we, do, we don't see a process. 
people come to faith in Christ, <clears throat> they're immediately baptized. Let me go back to what we said before, guys. In the New Testament, baptism was a big deal. When, 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 when a public profession of faith was oftentimes accompanied by severe persecution, guess what that did? It really discouraged false conversions, right? Okay. No one readily signs up to be thrown into the, into the arena okay, with the lions. But when Christianity became the official state religion of the Roman Empire, then all of a sudden it became advantageous to be a Christian, In fact, it was necessary if you wanted to have commerce and if you wanted to trade and if you wanted to be in the flow of things. And so people left and right were signing up. Hey, I'm ready to be a Christian. I'm ready to be baptized. So what did the church have to do? The church had to institute a what? Process. It's called catechism or confirmation. And it's an opportunity for people to be tested out. And where are you? And what's your testimony? And are there evidences of grace in your life? And the idea there is that the local church is to be, in terms of its covenant membership, is to be, is to be composed of people who are regenerate, okay, professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? We don't baptize infants for many reasons. I don't have time to get into all this, but we believe God's means of constituting his community of people is different in the New Testament than it is in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was by ethnicity, marked by circumcision. And now in the New Testament, we see that it's by regenerate hearts who follow him. And baptism is to be applied only to believers. And by the way, every single citation of baptism in the New Testament is always without exception, accompanied by the proclamation of the gospel and the response of faith, okay? Even in families, okay? Acts 16, the, the, the jailer, okay, the gospel was preached to his family, and they were baptized. But the gospel was preached to, to all of them. And so, so he, he, say all that, let me say this. Because we want to walk attention here at Four Oaks as leadership, that we, we don't want to have hoops for baptism. We don't want to unnecessarily discourage people from baptism. Um, at the same time, we want membership to have integrity. We want to, to be able to give a good account to the Lord and say, the people you've called us to shepherd are actively trusting in you. And so for, for adults, okay, it's, 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 it's very simple. It's very straightforward. We want to talk with you, meet with you, hear your testimony and your profession of faith. For, for children under 18, um, we, the process is the same, except we don't arbitrarily decide that as pastors. We do that in partnership with you as parents. And so 11 is a suggested age. Okay? It's, not, it's not a inflexible standard. It's simply a a guide to say, you know what, there's some kids who are 12, 13, 14 who aren't ready to be baptized. There may be some who are 9 and 10 who are, okay? But let us partner with you in discerning that. Now, let me say something to you as families before we, before we move on here to the last point. I don't think our culture here at Four Oaks is one that pressures kids into being baptized at an early age, okay? I don't think that's our culture here, okay? Um, 
And, 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 and again, one of the reasons why we want to have some sort of testing period for kids is that we want this baptism to be significant. Okay? Some of you are going on three and four baptisms personally right now. Okay? Why? Because you were baptized at a really, really young age and you don't remember it. Or it wasn't that significant. Or you, it, you know, it was not at a crucial time in your faith journey. Some of you it was, but some of you who weren't. We want our children to look back on these times and to say, that was the day I publicly profess Christ and now I'm following him. We think that is a gift of grace to kids. And it's a means of accountability, by the way. When your adolescent is baptized and they're wanting to do whatever it is that adolescents do, okay? Remember, you professed your faith before the family of God. You said you belong to Jesus and that, and that Jesus belongs to you. Tell us what's going on in your heart at this juncture. And so we want the opportunity to do that. But, but for let me just say this. I don't think that's our culture here, to baptize kids too young. In fact, I think it's the opposite. Okay? I think it's the opposite. Parents, if you have teenagers or adolescents in your house who profess faith in Christ, and they come to the table and take communion, but they won't be baptized, that's a really, really serious spiritual issue. And you have to, as parents, shepherd your kids through that. Need, I'm going to really call us, folks, to, a, to an urgency as a church family in running hard after this. Let me just say this, folks. I think we are missing we are missing a massive element in means of God's grace to us. A lot of times people will say, Pastor Paul, I know we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week. I wish we did more baptisms. And, and what do you have to have to have baptisms? Uh, people. <laughs> okay, you got to have some people. And, and, and that's a call on all of us. Okay, but let me not come back to that. But let me just say, parents, really engage the hearts of your kids. Whether they want to or not engage in baptism might tell you something. It might be a great opportunity to really move them towards a place of saying, I belong to the Lord. Guys, that's, that's going to become increasingly important in the coming days. Increasingly important. Last point and we're done. We need to take them seriously, but finally, we need to take them together. Okay? Take them together. Acts 2, let me read two passages. So those who received his word, meaning Peter, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And over to Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Now, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless is not, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The word in this, in these two Greek in these two passages in the Greek, where it says in Acts 4.32, they had all things in common. And the word 
in 1 Corinthians about the participation of the body and blood of Christ, it's the same Greek word. Koina or koinonia, meaning fellowship or communion. And in fact, that's where we get our word communion. And the idea here is that the elements, the ordinances that God gives us in the form of baptism and the Lord's Supper are meant to unite our hearts not just to the Lord, but to one another. And that's why we do them publicly. Okay? Why are weddings typically public events? So we can like eat and drink at the expense of the bride's parents, right? Okay. Kind of, actually. Okay. That's kind of what, it's a celebration. Okay. It, it's, a, it's a time to be together. And, and in the same way, the reason we don't advocate private communion and baptism ceremonies is precisely because that's not what the ordinances are. They are, by definition, public community engagement and opportunities where we're all able to say, not just as individuals, yes, Lord, I belong to you. Yes, Lord, I renew in you. But together, we are God's people with him in relationship to each other. You know, stereotypically, we, we like to think that, that communion is a, is a very drab, morbid, sackcloth-driven exercise where we are churning up every unconfessed sin in our hearts before being worthy to come to the table. 1 Corinthians 11, guys, gives us a whole different picture. When Paul says, don't come to the table in an unworthy manner, what he does not mean is that you have to be worthy to come to the table. Guys, that defeats the whole purpose of the table. Why do we have to come to the table? Because we're unworthy. (laughs) Because we need grace. Because we need Jesus. What Paul is talking about there is is he's saying, you know, your whole church is just full of division and gossip, and fighting, and broken relationships, and you mock the table when you come to the table, the one place where we should signify our unity with each other, and you're just backbiting, hurling insults at one another, may it not be. Like Jesus said, go leave this table and go make it right with your brother. Guys, this table signifies the unity we have in the body of Christ. When we come together and, and baptize someone, it signifies our unity together in the body of Christ. And, and by the way, let me say this about baptism, just one, real quick. I know a lot of you are wrestling through this. A lot of you might be ba- have been baptized as infants. A lot of you may have baptized your children and they were infants. And you may say, well, can I be a member of Four Oaks Church? Yes, you can be a member of Four Oaks Church. We're not going to baptize your baby, but we're going to baptize believers, okay? But let me, let, 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 me, let, me, let me challenge you with something. If you were baptized as an infant and you have no idea why, okay, um, it, was, it, was, it was an opportunity for grandma to put you in that christening gown and get one more embarrassing picture. I don't know what it was, okay? Um, I was baptized as an infant. But, but if you don't know why, 
okay, and you don't have a conviction about that, that's not a good reason for not being baptized as an adult. Some of you have real strong covenantal convictions about why an infant baptism is appropriate for you, and we say we give you to the Lord in your conscience, okay? We are not going to let that be a disunifying factor in our fellowship, okay? Now, we have a practice we have here, okay, to, to baptize believers, but this article in the Gospel Coalition Statement of Faith is written for precisely that reason, okay, to, to allow us grace. And you may say, well, Paul, that devalues baptism. No, it doesn't. We think it's a more serious error to bar someone from membership in the church than for them to be wrong about baptism, okay? So we give grace on these, on these things. And if you have questions about any of that, just talk to us as pastors. It would be our great privilege to engage you on it. Let me, last thing I want to say here in terms of this coming year. I want to call us this year as your pastor for this to be a year where we run hard after the ordinances. I know that's not like probably at the top of your vision mission statement for a local church, okay? But, but here's what I mean. We, we, we do celebrate the Lord's table every week. But my heart as, as your pastor is that we would be a church that would be celebrating baptisms as a part of the means of grace of what God is doing here. Children and adolescents being baptized. New believers being baptized. Um, people who don't know the Lord coming to be a part of this church family. And this is a great time of the year to, to ask the Lord, Lord, what is my heart in this? Do I desire to see people come to know you? You know, Susan and I recently got these 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 blasted things called Fitbits. Anybody have one of these? Okay. And really the main goal of the Fitbit is to make you feel guilty for not exercising more. Okay. So I've got 3,700 steps so far. You got to get 10,000. Oh my gosh. Um, and so Susan and I, for some, because we're trying to get 10,000 steps a day, we're always walking around the neighborhood for no reason. Okay. And so in humidity, oh man. But you know, here's what's interesting. We started doing this a few days ago and I cannot, and this is to my shame, I cannot tell you how many people we've met, okay? And, and I don't mean just like, hey, how's it going? I mean like we're just walking around and lady starts pouring her heart out about her husband who's got cancer. Or the girl off the street is like, you know, I've been, you're the pastor of Four Oaks. I've been trying to get my mom to come to church, and it sparks this whole conversation. Because a little goes a long way. Let's not miss the essence and get so caught up in all of the theological minutiae, which is important. We've been spending our last 45 minutes on it. It's important. But God's heart is for the nations. Let's, let's contextualize it. God's heart is for your friends. God's heart is for the marriages. God's heart is for our neighborhoods. And let Four Oaks be a place where we, where we trumpet the ordinance of God because they are a blessing to people's lives. Let's pray.